This is Redemption Radio with Pastor Cody King of Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. Here's a preview from Pastor Cody of today's message. The Bible's not about how to get rich. It's not about how to have a healthy marriage. It's not about how to raise great kids. It's not about how to have the best lawn on the block. It's not about how to get a raise at work. It's not about any of those things. It's about Jesus. Now, there are a lot of other sub-themes and sub-categories that are throughout the Scripture, but they all are in subjection to and support of and pointing to one person, one message, one thing. It's Jesus. While it is true that the Bible was written for us, it was not written about us. We are not the main character. Jesus is. We might think that only the Gospels or only the New Testament is about Jesus, but that's not the case either. Today, Pastor Cody shows us that every book of the Bible is about Jesus, from the Old Testament to the Gospels, through the Epistles, and all the way to Revelation. Every page points to Him. Every story aims to teach us about Jesus and His birth, death, and resurrection. Now, turn in your Bible to the book of Romans chapter 1 and join Pastor Cody for today's edition of Redemption Radio. gospel is so simple that a child can understand it. I mean, all of my children made a decision to give their lives to Jesus when they were around five years old. It's so simple. A five-year-old can understand the basic concept of the gospel. And yet it is so deep. It is so deep that the most brilliant mind can spend their entire lives plumbing the depths of the gospel and never reach the bottom. It is massively massively important. So let's look at this first of these four ideas of the aspects of the gospel. The first one is the servant of the gospel in verse one. Notice there it says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Now, Paul here opens the letter by identifying himself. This is a very common way that letters were written in this time. It's not like our day. If you receive a letter, then you know what we do is we write who it's to at the beginning, and then we write who it's from at the very end. And if you receive a letter that's got multiple pages, if you're like me, you go to the very end, find out who it's from, and then read the letter. Here in this time, I think it's a much better way to write letters. Here's who it's from. And then we see there in verse seven, a couple of verses later, here's who it's to. And so it's very simple as far as that goes. But Paul introduces himself here and he says uh, his name there, Paul. Now, Paul is the Greek version of his Hebrew name, Saul. Saul and Paul is one and the same. It's the same person. When you read through Acts, you see that it begins by calling him Saul and then transitions into Paul later on. And this is not God changing his name the way that God changed Abraham's name from Abram to Abraham or changed Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel. It's not a name change. This is just simply Hebrew and Greek. It's the same name. It's the same word and all that that kind of stuff. So most likely, Paul was named after the first Hebrew king, King Saul. And uh, they were both of the tribe of Benjamin. So it makes sense that they would be named, that he would be named after him. And in this, not only does he identify himself, but he uses three identifying words to qualify who he is. Notice there the first word, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Now this word bondservant is a very specific word. It's a very unique word. It's a very intentional word. And some people 
in trying to understand this and trying to connect the other biblical ideas, they try to connect this word, bondservant, to Exodus chapter 21, verse 6, that describes a, a slave that was a, a slave from debt that changed and became a slave by choice. You know, they, they, it says that they would take this person who said that they wanted to remain a slave and they would they would go to the doorpost and they'd drive an awl through his ear, basically they'd have an ear piercing. And uh, then that would be a symbol that this person was a slave by choice, by choosing to not have their freedom, but remain in slavery. And some people try to connect bond servants to that idea. And the reason is because of the part of this word that says servant. And I think that that is a, an unfortunate translation. You see, this word in Greek is the word doulos or doulos, however you want to say that. And it literally means slave. It doesn't mean servant. There's no choice. There's no optional thing involved in this. It just means slave. So a better way to say this would be bond slave instead of bond servant. And the reason for this in our American translations is because it's a hyper reaction to American slavery, which is a terrible tragedy. It's a blight on our nation's history. And it's something that is absolutely terrible. American slavery is something that God condemns and absolutely hates. And so in this, because of our culture, our language has taken this word and it's sensitive to the word slave. And so the word servant is used instead. And so we've got to kind of get past that a little bit in order to see what the reality of this is. Now, when we think about bond slave, if we think about it that way, this word, if we were to think of it in bond slave, it actually emphasizes the idea of slavery. Bound or bond means that you're bound. It means that you're not yours, that you're not free. You don't come and go as you choose or as you please, that you're not someone who's hired to do a specific job and you're free to go home. No, you are staying there. You are the possession of your owner. You're owned and not free. A slave requires a Lord. You can't be a slave without a Lord. And so this, he says, a bondservant, a slave of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. And so he declares his slavery to Jesus, that he exalts Jesus, showing him as Lord, as God, as King, as ruler, as the one overall. And he's, as he does this, not only is this for him, but it's also for us because a defining mark of all believers is when Jesus is your Lord. There's some people who they're willing to allow Jesus to be their savior, but they stop very short of Jesus being their Lord. Yeah, Jesus, I want your stuff. I want you to save me. I, I want the nice things. I want the blessings. I want you to provide for me. I want you to make my life easier. I want you to just provide stuff for me. And you know, whatever thing I think up, I pray to you and then you go get it for me. And that's the relationship that a lot of people want with Jesus. And they don't want anything to do with the Lordship part of Jesus. They want to remain as Lord and they want to add to their lives him being the savior. And that's not the gospel. Jesus didn't die on the cross to make you God. He died on the cross to purchase you from yourself, to get you out of the cycle of crazy that you dive yourself into. And so Jesus is not only Savior, but he's also Lord. He's Lord of all. A defining mark of all believers is that Jesus is your Lord. And this is that when Jesus is your Lord, then you take your true position as slave, as slave. Notice there, not only this idea of bond servant, but notice he says there, the second word called to be an apostle. This word called is the second word that he introduces and it's connected to the idea of apostleship. He says, I'm called to be an apostle. Now, an apostle is a sent one. That's what that word means. It's a one who is sent on behalf of another. And this has three applications. There's the big A apostle, 
there's the little a apostle, and then there's the aspect of everybody or all people in Christ given purpose by Jesus. Now the big A apostle, it has to do with an office. This is an office of apostleship and this office is closed. One of the primary things that is necessary in order for someone to hold the office of an apostle is they had to be alive at the time of Jesus being on the earth. And so that excludes you. It excludes me. And so if anybody takes the title of apostle, if I say I'm apostle Cody and that's my Facebook page, you know, or my Facebook name or whatever, or if I call you or send you an email as apostle so-and-so, then mark those people as crazy and they're just trying to take something from you. These are borderline, if not heretics, okay? So avoid them at all costs. They are not looking for your good. They're just looking to take advantage of you. Apostleship is an office that is closed and the people who take that title are dangerous and must be avoided. Now there's a little a apostle and that's the gift of apostle, a spiritual gift of apostleship. And what this is, is this is people who they see the potential of what could be and they have the ability to bring it into pass. It's like how Paul functions not only as the office of apostle, but also in the gift of apostleship, where he goes around to different places and he sees where there could be believers and he preaches the gospel and where there was no church, now there's a church and he raises up leaders and puts them in position and and now there's ministry taking place. It's people who go plant churches or they take church and they, they see how there's the opportunity for expansion and how we could develop something new. It's people who have that visionary kind of ability to see what could be and not just what could be, not just seeing, but actually bring it into reality. Now, the third aspect of this, the third application of this is, is all in a very real sense. Every Christian is an apostle. So if you've placed your faith in Jesus, if you're part of the family of God, then you are an apostle in this sense that you've been sent by Jesus with purpose. He's chosen where you live He's chosen the people who are around you. He's chosen the type of work that you're able to do. He's chosen to place you and position you. You're sent by Jesus. Are you on his mission? Or are you spending all your time trying to get him to do your mission? What are you doing with that? And so in this, if Jesus is Lord, then also we are sent by him. And this is a vital part of, of our lives, to be on his purpose and his mission in the world. Thirdly, this third idea that he gives to us is, notice they're separated to the gospel of God. This separation. Now, this word's a unique word. It's an interesting word when you look into it. It's a very similar Greek word to the word that's used for Pharisee. So when you look at the guys that would say that they are Pharisees, and Paul, in fact, was a Pharisee, that this word is a very similar kind of a word. Now, Pharisees, what they were known as, what they prided themselves on was to be separated from everybody else. They were separated. That's what Pharisee meant. We are not like you. We are different than you. And in fact, they would take their robe and and if they were in a crowd, they would bunch it up and they would hold it close to themselves as they walked through a crowd because they didn't want their robe to accidentally touch a sinner or worse, a filthy Gentile someone who's not Jewish, and that would defile them. And so they would keep their robes close to them that way, making sure that that didn't take place because they were separated from everybody. Now notice what Paul says here. He sort of has a play on this word. Paul now has been saved by the gospel of Jesus and it's changed everything to where he doesn't even see himself as separated from. Notice he's separated too. 
He's separated to the gospel of God. He's not separated from all these other people. He is separated to the gospel. Paul's life is literally ruined for anything else. He just can't do anything else other than be a slave and servant of Jesus and a preacher and proclaimer of his gospel. This has deep, deep connection to his calling, to his calling as a proclaimer of the gospel. Now, too many Christians are known by what they're against. They're known by what they're not for, what they're separated from. I don't do that. I'm I'm not a part of that. And maybe even in your own Christian life, if you've uh, told somebody about your faith in Jesus, maybe you've even said it this way. Well, I used to do this and I used to do that. And then my life was all about this. And then Jesus saved me and now it's not. If that's how you tell your testimony, if that's the way that you tell people about Jesus and how he changed your life, there's not really a lot of life change right there. It's just saying I used to do some stuff that I thought was awesome and I thought was cool and now I can't. That is a terrible way to tell your testimony, right? The gospel isn't what you're separated from. It's what you're separated to. That's the gospel. Too many Christians are all about, well, we're not with them. We're not a part of them. We're not with that group, but you have no idea what they're for. And so we have got to, as people of God, be ready to proclaim who we're for, what we're separated to, and that that's Jesus. You see, Here's the reality. It is possible for you to have a saved soul and a lost life. It's possible for you to have your eternal destiny in heaven and to literally completely waste your days here on earth, to do absolutely nothing for the advancement of the kingdom of God, to do absolutely nothing for the sake of the gospel, to not be separated to the gospel of God. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to be a pastor or be a preacher or anything like that, that God's given you certain gifts. He's given you certain calling. He's given you certain mission. The question is, do you know what it is? And are you pursuing it? Are you doing what God has called you to do? Or are you just trying to get him to make your life more comfortable today before you go to eternity in heaven? It's possible to have a saved soul and a lost life. Now, all three of these words, they take us back to Acts chapter nine, when Paul got saved when he was literally knocked off his high horse. Jesus shows up a bright light, knocks him off of his horse. And in that moment is where he received his calling. It's where he received his separation. It's where he received his slavery to Jesus. Now, and in this, at the time of this writing of the book of Romans, Paul has now been a Christian preacher for about 20 years. So it's been a while since that moment of his salvation. And now he's been a Christian preacher for 20 years. Now, not only the, that, but also the source of the gospel. We see that in verse two. Look at verse two. It says this, which, right? The, the gospel of God is the context, which he promised before through his prophets in the holy scriptures. This is really important. You've got to get this. The gospel is not the creation of human imagination. The good news of Jesus is not something that is a created thing. It's not a religious concept. That the idea is that it is the, look at verse one, the gospel of God. It belongs to him. It's his idea. It's his thing. It's, he came up with it. He brought it into reality. It's his design. It's his plan. Now, religion is not the gospel. There is absolutely no good news in religion. 
there's nothing that's good about, hey, be a better person, try really hard. If you do the right things, then maybe God will accept you. If your good works outweigh your bad works, then perhaps God will bring you into his eternal kingdom. If you live properly, then maybe you can outweigh all your bad karma and come back as a higher form of being or whatever. All of that stuff, all that religious concept, it's not good news. That's terrible news. Because when everything's quiet and it's just you and and you're just alone in your bed with your own thoughts before you go to sleep, you know in that moment, you're not really good. You know that internally you're broken. You know that internally there's really, I've got some issues. I've got some things going on. And no matter how much good I do, it's never going to be enough to outweigh the bad. I'm never going to be able to clean myself up. And that can plunge you into despair or it can bring you to the end of yourself so you can see who Jesus really is. Because here's the reality. Religion is a human attempt to reach up to God. But the gospel, the good news, the gospel of God is that God reaches down to you. Even while you're, while you're not reaching up, Romans 5, we'll get to it. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. It wasn't on your best day that God reached down to you to save you. It's on your worst day. That's when God reaches into your mess in order to lift you out of it. Skip Heidzig says it like this. Man-made religion is all about what man can do for God. The gospel is all about what God has already done for man. On September 2nd, 2019, someone broke the world record for the highest standing jump. Do you know how how high they jumped? It's absolutely crazy. This guy's name is uh, Brett Williams. He did it, I think it was in Texas. He jumped just standing, didn't get a running start, just standing. He jumped vertically five feet, five inches. Five feet, five inches. Are you kidding me? Like that is a ridiculously high jump. Now, if Brett and I were going to compete, man, I'm going to get probably three feet less than him. (laughs) You know, like I am not going to go very high compared to this guy. He is ridiculously amazing when it comes to this high jump. And maybe you and I, if we were to compete, I would have a very hard time not beating you. If you jumped higher than me, then I would have to do something to figure out how to get higher than you because that's just who I am. Super competitive. If we're jumping, we're going to try to do that. Now, here's the thing. When we measure ourselves against ourselves and we try to jump and see who can jump the highest, we can probably look pretty good against some people and maybe look pretty terrible against others. But what if you and me and Brett, we're all going to try to jump to the moon? Who's going to win? Yeah, that's right. Nobody, nobody's going to win, right? Brett's five feet is literally nothing compared to the 238,900 miles that it is. Like five feet of that is nothing. It is, it's minuscule. It's completely pointless. And that's exactly the message of the gospel. You can't jump to the moon, but Jesus did. And he reaches back down and pulls you up. He did what was impossible for you so that he could save you from yourself. It's not about how high you can jump. It's not about what you're able to accomplish because your good works amount to absolutely nothing. But the great news, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus did it on your behalf. That is the good news of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. Notice there in verse two, it says, which he promised before through, God promised through what? His prophets in the holy scriptures. 
That here, this is a direct reference, the Holy Scriptures is a direct reference to the Old Testament where there are 330 prophecies specifically about Jesus. His birth, his gender, the city he would live in, where he would go, his life and ministry, death, all sorts of things are prophesied there for us about Jesus specifically. And New Testament Christianity is not some kind of defection from the Old Testament. It's not like the Old Testament was coming along and then the New Testament sort of is this weird detraction or this weird sect that goes away from Judaism. No, that's not true at all. In fact, the Old Testament is Christian literature. It's not Jewish as much as it's Christian, which we'll get into in the book of Romans as we continue through this, that the New Testament, Christianity is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Here's how Jesus said it in Matthew 5, 17. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets, which is the Old Testament, right? No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Jesus declares that the New Testament, the new covenant, this gospel message is the logical, supernaturally natural fulfillment flow of the Old Testament. You see, biblical prophecy, it's not like reading a fortune cookie where they say, you're going to do some really cool things next month. It'll be awesome. That's vague and uncertain and crazy. Like it, that could be true of anybody at any moment. No, biblical prophecy is very specific, very nuanced, very calculated. It's filled with so much detail and multiple contingencies that it's literally impossible to happen to be fulfilled by chance. The gospel is not speculation about God, but it's revelation of God. That's what the gospel is. That the Old Testament has progressive revelation of God going all the way back to the very beginning. In fact, Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 tells us that Jesus was crucified before the foundations of the world. So before the world was ever created, Jesus and the plan of salvation was already in place. And as the revelation of the Lord has progressed through time. It's something that is known as the scarlet thread that you can see this mentioning of foreshadowing of prophesying of Jesus from Genesis through the the life of Abraham and David and the prophets and all the way through to Jesus in the New Testament. That it's all woven together. That it's this progressive revelation of God throughout his scripture. And that is what the gospel is. It's not speculation about God, but it's the revelation of God. All right, thirdly, the subject of the gospel. Verses three and four, it says this, concerning his son, Jesus Christ. Now, what is this? The prophets prophesied in verse two, what, about what? No, all they prophesied concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The message of the Bible, its big theme and its central figure is about one person. And guess who it's not? It's not you. You're not the theme of the Bible. You're not the message of the Bible. The Bible is not about your best life now. The Bible is not about how to have five things for a better this, that, or the other. The Bible is not about how to get rich. It's not about how to have a healthy marriage. It's not about how to raise great kids. It's not about how to have the best lawn on the block. It's not about how to get a raise at work. It's not about any of those things. It's about Jesus. 
Now, there are a lot of other sub-themes and sub-categories that are throughout the scripture, but they all are in subjection to and support of and pointing to one person, one message, one thing. It's Jesus and his great glory and his willing sacrifice for you. That's what the Bible is all about. There are these other sub-themes going throughout the scripture, but Jesus, the person and work of Jesus is their aim. If I were to take your Bible and tell you what it is sort of in a nutshell, give it to you the Bible at a glance, it's this. The Old Testament is anticipation of Jesus. The Gospels are the presentation of Jesus. The book of Acts is the continuation of Jesus. The epistles are an explanation of Jesus. Epistles is a word that means letters. And Revelation is the consummation of Jesus. It is literally all about Jesus. There is nothing in Scripture that's not about Jesus. When you encounter a huge chasm or large canyon, it's hard to imagine that you could be connected to the other side due to the space and distance between where you are and where the other edge of the canyon is. But it's reassuring to know and to hear in Romans that nothing shall be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You've been listening to Redemption Radio today with Pastor Cody. As he's been teaching through the book of Romans, you get some insight into God's heart for you. There's no limit or no point where his love will come to an end when it comes to God's love and devotion to you. Do you find that hard to believe today? Read Romans 8 to remind you that God's love for you is endless. It's not like a human love that can fail or disappoint you. God's love is above that, and He cares for you better than anyone. Have you experienced that kind of love by God? We sure hope so. One of the most important ways to experience the love of God is through His family, the church. If you're not connected with the church, we invite you to join us this Sunday at Redemption Calvary. Head over to our website to get more information on directions, times, and even to subscribe to our podcast. Go to redemptioncalvary.org. We hope you'll continue learning and growing through this book of Romans. Pastor Cody will be back again next time to continue where he left off. So make sure to tune in again here on Redemption Radio.